0: Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard and thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This week I'm joined by Chris Kelly from East Coast Canning. Craft beer in cans has been one of the sweeping trends in craft beer. The Australian brewery was the first local brewery to follow the established US trend when they installed their canning line back in 2012. A handful of brewers followed suit over the next few years before the floodgates really opened in 2014 when Chris established Australia's first mobile canning business, East Coast Canning. As you will hear, it has been a wild ride for Chris, who now operates three mobile lines and services, well, Australia's East Coast. It's a really thoughtful chat with Chris and he shares his journey, the challenges that he has faced through the explosive demand for his services and his thoughts about where we are at in the world of craft beer distribution. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Chris Kelly, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Beer in cans absolutely exploded over the last probably you know three or four years Um, but certainly in the last one or two cans are everywhere and your business East Coast Canning is a big part of that Um, I I guess because you've enabled a lot of small breweries to get your beer in cans. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you came to uh, run a beer can company.
1: Yeah I guess touching on the the, the first part of that, you, you're certainly not wrong. It's um, definitely exploded, um, and, and I guess that's the, the kind of interesting thing, and that's the way that um, it's the way that I, I, I more or less got into it. Um, it, it is is actually just through a, a, a fairly kind of chance trip to the US. Um, uh, my, my wife and I went on what was essentially a, a six week fly fishing junket. You know, trying to trying to fish our way through the western United States, and and we spent most nights in campgrounds drinking pretty damn nice uh, regional and local beers out of cans, um, and and that was the kind of the the big thing um, that, that kind of brought us to where we are today in a lot of ways. And the I guess the the funny part about that is that at the end of that trip we kind of got to Portland, Oregon, and um, we've got a couple of friends there and we went to, it was summer and we went to the, the local kind of, you know, trendy kind of spot to sit on a, on a patch of grass and drink a beer overlooking one of the rivers. Um, and, uh, got talking to a, a friend of a friend and, and he happened to operate seven mobile canning lines, uh, through Seattle and Portland, um. And so it's sort of just kind of been one big rollercoaster ride from from that time back in sort of... Oh, jeez, I think that might have been even 2014. So it's been a bit of a wild ride.
0: But you didn't have a background even in the beer industry at that stage, so you had a fundamental um, career pivot to to get involved. Uh, You've got a background in radiation science.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, So I... um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a, a trained radiation therapist, and yeah, with a degree in radiation science, and so I um, sort of spent I don't know, close, to more or less ten years in in public health. I guess like a lot of um, like a lot of beer industry converts and entrepreneurs, I, I suppose I was sort of um, doing a fair bit of obsessive home brewing throughout the period. Well, in fact, I have been since I was sort of eighteen or nineteen. Um, and so it, uh, it kind of just, you know, through, through the trip and trip to the U S and one conversation and, and the kind of the, uh, the list of skills, I suppose that I was kind of, you know, r- racking up the more I thought of it, um, it kind of, uh, yeah, it, it just made sense. And, and, and yeah, look, it's been a big pivot, but, uh, at the same time, there's so many parallels. It's really kind of peculiar. Um, between scheduling and quality assurance and, and all of those things. don't get me wrong there's been some extraordinary learning curves but there's also been some um, really quite nice familiar territory in the whole in the whole journey as well.
0: was it having a friend who had already set up a business and had expanded to have multiple canning lines were you able to draw on that experience or you know did, did, were you pretty much going from zero um, and learning on on the fly?
1: Um, oh, I mean look there, there's both in, there's both in so many ways. I spent a three or four week period in the US, um, you know, learning the ropes. That said, you know, the peculiarities of, of machinery and, and things like that, you know, each each kind of machine has its own unique personality in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, there was always that, that we had to learn on the fly and, and, and not to mention just the, the concepts and, and challenges of, of doing mobile canning in Australia. Um, as opposed to somewhere like, you know, the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, where you can kind of pretty easily do, you know, the, 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 these guys do two, sometimes three jobs in a day, um, you know, just, just through, you know, the sheer geography. Um, and not to mention weather, you know, we, we had a pretty awful time after a summer, um, you know, just with, with warm beer and, and basically not being able to package it. It's been, been a real mix. Uh, I guess the, the really kind of interesting place where I've drawn from from experience in the US has been uh, a lot to do with the business side of things and, and the expansion side of things and, and kind of ensuring that we're trying to make the right moves um, in that space. It's something that um, it's one of those things you, you, you kind of sit around it at dinner with, with somebody who's done it uh, for a long time and, and there's always some pretty clear messages Um And and that's certainly what we've kind of picked up on and and utilised.
0: But things have obviously paid off in the sense that you got in at the right time and there was obviously demand for what you wanted to do. I think we first spoke to you uh, back in April 2016, so we're coming up to two years and uh, in that time you've already uh, expanded to three mobile vans um, or canning lines and it sounds like you're putting a fourth on.
1: Uh, yeah, no, we, we're not putting the fourth one at this stage, we're, we're kind of, um, we're sticking with our three, we're just uh, moving this week actually to be all counter-pressure machinery. Um, so we're getting rid of our um, our gravity filler uh, and taking it offline, so we'll be running three counter-pressure lines, which you're pretty excited about.
0: Sounds like you might have some equipment for sale soon, Is, uh, should people get in touch?
1: Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there another six weeks or so and, um, and yeah we'll be, we'll be kind of looking to uh, potentially move that on. So yeah look at you know there's certainly been an element of, of good timing. that's for sure. Look, uh, that, that said Matt, I still maintain to this day that I, I, I thought that I'd be running these machines myself full time. I thought I'd probably be on the week you know, on, the, on the road for a week and then maybe back home for a week and kind of, you know, looking after the business side of things and administration tasks, and then I'd be sort of, I don't know, baby back out for another little trip and, and back in again, but it just certainly hasn't worked out that way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's great. Um, it, it sort of, you know, obviously brings a whole heap of different challenges to, to running a, a single machine operation as a basically an owner operator, but it's cool. In that, uh, in that we saw that demand, and 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 I, I really just had this thing in my head the the whole time about ensuring that we had good ac- accessibility, and so, you know that that's what's you know I guess the the bottom line is, is that you know our expansion and kind of how busy we are has been driven by our customer success, um and and also by the you know obviously the marketplace in general uh, and what's happening at retail and in trade. You know, we, we we owe a lot to all of those people, um, and and I guess if they're putting their putting their hand up and saying that they need more dates, then I'm sort of putting my thinking cap on and trying to figure out when we need more machinery, basically.
0: You've actually touched on one of the I guess it's one of the dirty little secrets of all businesses, but uh, I'm hearing of a lot in the brewing business and the allied uh, industries is that. I I think people have this idea that if they run run a bar, it's going to be, you know, like Cheers, where you're sort of swanning around behind the bar with a lovable bunch of regulars, uh, you know, polishing glasses. Or if you're making beer, you sort of get in, you mash in, you make a little bit of beer, and that it's a really romantic, fun existence. But you make it sound like it's been a a crazy ride um, that's been much more uh, full-on or challenging than you even expected.
1: A psychopathic crazy ride um, <laughs> and if I really wish I was Ted dancing in cheers to be honest um that'd be uh that'd be pretty nice but um yeah um, i mean look at the, the i think there's you know I, I guess living and breathing this stuff is 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 interesting and and like I, I guess that there's a lot of there's a lot of um hesitance uh in craft beer to accept that what we do is manufacturing and industry and manufacturing and industry have their challenges and, and they have often some real dramas as well. You know, machines break down and go wrong. And, 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 I think that uh, in a lot of ways there, there can often be uh, a perception, I suppose that the crafty industry is as, as you describe it, the, the, the cheers phenomenon, you know, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's fabulous. And, but, but it's more about, I think the the real, the real kick out of it, particularly for me and my team is actually overcoming those challenges as opposed to polishing glasses and chatting to the regulars. You know, we we certainly get a real kick out of kind of dealing with all of our customers and and getting good results for them. Um, But uh, a a lot of it is, is overcoming the the daily, the daily challenges and struggles of, of manufacturing and industry.
0: But how have you coped with such a rapid expansion? Did when, when you were working in the radiation uh, science uh, industry, were you running your own business there, or were you working for somebody else? And is is this your first uh, step into running your own business? <laughs>
1: um, that's a that's a funny one, actually. We um, uh, the, the the answer is no. Look, I you know certainly come from a, a heavily kind of um, institutionalized government job. You know, I, I was certainly not. You know, uh, running my own gig in any stretch of the imagination, but um, me and my wife have, have always had sort of uh, a bit of, bit of something going on um, as side projects, and sort of well, actually, really only one other, and and that was actually in the ski and snowboard industry. Uh, so we were, we were, <laughs> we actually ended up whilst whilst working full time um, and living in a very small flat in Sydney, we were one of the the largest ski and snowboard importers and distributors in Australia for uh, quite a few years. So we kind of, I guess, developed a a host of skills and made enough mistakes to kind of um, be prepared for what was to come. Um, So, you know, while it has been the the psychopathic crazy ride that I say, but, you know, at the same time, we kind of had some, we had a bit of grounding and we had a a bit of knowledge of of what could have and and has happened, you
0: know. And and what do you think it is that's driven the demand for beer and cans? Uh, And, and, and well, first of all, for your uh, business, is it your business frees up, um, it, it almost becomes canning line share, you know, Uber for canning lines where people don't need to invest in the canning line themselves and they can have somebody come in and drive it for them just the days that they need it?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's so many situations and scenarios where our service makes an awful lot of sense. Um, and, and when I when I say that, I mean, you know, kind of individual business scenarios. You know, it's it, it, it depends on, you know, the volumes that, that people want to put into package and, um, you know, how many can skews they want to do. And, uh, you know, there's, there's such a variety of, of reasons why we make an awful lot of sense. But we're starting to see more and more that, the, one of the key drivers really is um, that we, we we manage the process and do the job um, pretty damn well every time. So, you know, I think a lot of people are saying that the the, the value in that um, is pretty high uh, compared to having to go it alone, so to speak, Um and, and kind of operate this machinery uh, on on your own as a as a brewer basically, or, or as a you know as even a, a large organisation. You know, and there's people with kind of bottling machinery that run their bottling machinery quite heavily, but then you know they know the challenges that that brings, and so they kind of don't want another headache. You know, there's certainly plenty that drives um, the demand for our services in that in that kind of business to business space. You know, it's also having access to really kind of quite nice machinery now um, in, in the, the new machinery we're rolling out over the next week. Uh, and, and as for the, the overall demanding uh, for beer in cans, I, I can't help but just come back to taste and, and overall kind of the kind of sensory um, situation that you, that you get out of a can of beer. feel like we're just getting better results and more consistently in cans than a lot of beer in bottles
0: why is that because i i I guess i've sat back and i I don't sort of profess to to have the deepest technical knowledge of it all but you know when you look at it and you look at bottling lines which do tend to be a little bit more expensive than these the smaller canning lines they seem to be built around making sure that do is so much lower um, and the, the canning lines sound like they, you know, it really takes a skilled operator to make sure you're getting that quality captured in the can because the, the, the can is a great vessel for it so long as you can get the beer in there in the in, in peak condition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, and look, you're you, you bang on. You know, peak condition's the key. I think that's where things get a little tricky for us and, and our operators. We can often be put into situations where. We know a beer isn't in peak condition, but you know we've been kind of contracted to do the job. But I guess the, the, you know there obviously is something in the in the you know the the light aspect in bottles, and and you know I, I think that I think in a lot of ways you, you're right. You know bottling machinery tends to be a little bit more expensive, but I think the other thing with bottling machinery is is that it's often it often maybe hasn't changed all that much. You know in the last Geez, I don't know, maybe 30 years for carbonation, carbonated product. I think, I think in a lot of ways we're still kind of looking at the same methods of, of bottling beer that we have for an awfully long time. And gravity filling cans of beer is, you could argue, even more rudimentary and, and simple than that. But I think when you, like you say, when you put a good operator in front of a gravity filler um, with beer at the right carbonation and temperature, you can get an extremely good result.
0: I mean, there are a couple of questions that when I do tastings, um, you know, over 15 years, you just get people saying, hate beer and cans, hate beer and cans, hate the metallic taste. And you, you try and educate them, uh, well, pour it into a glass and see if you can tell the difference or anything. And they, they really can't, but there is just such a stigma that cans leave a metallic taste has that been hard to uh, deal with or is just the excitement for cans completely run over the top of any negative perceptions around cans?
1: Yeah, I think it's overridden it. I, I really do. I think there's still, there's obviously, um, you know, still some, uh, some stragglers, I guess you'd call them, that are still thinking that way. Yeah, I, I, still, I still don't think that there's really that much pushback in the marketplace to really make it a problem I suspect that the people buying the buying craft beer and, and and even you know what you consider kind of you know the, the larger craft beer brands, which maybe not aren't necessarily all independent these days. Um, I think even those people, I think, are open-minded enough to kind of accept that that beer in a can is, is a lot different to it, to what it used to be. You know, I think the and it's all just pretty basic. Coming, you know, basically coming down to the liner technology that's in cans now. You know, I don't think it's all that really all overly special, to be honest. I, I wouldn't profess to know much about um, the liners in your average beer can, but it certainly doesn't taste metallic anymore. That's for sure.
0: When you get home at the end of the day, do you drink straight from the can, or do you uh, have a favourite glass?
1: <laughs> Mate, I I almost always drink from the can. <laughs> I don't I don't really remember the last time I got one of my nice glasses off the shelf. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's there's always there's always a couple of there's always a couple of beers in 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 the fridge at home or, or here in the warehouse that I know I really like to drink a tiny bit warmer though. And they're they're the ones I get into a they're the ones I get into a glass. They sit around for five or ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And you know, for for all the that, that I encourage people to uh, drink from a glass, I, I do always distinguish. Or you know, it, it depends. Like if you're in the backyard with some mates, yeah, you know, at the barbecue, uh, you, you don't necessarily want to be lo- looking for your your nice uh, IPA glass. But and and when I'm cooking, uh, I'm a little bit the same. But uh, I, I still do find that I enjoy my beers a little bit better in a glass um, most times.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I must admit, I kind of, um, I really, really like to always, you know, kind of experience uh, our, our beers both ways, and I really like to get a bit of a sense of how they are tasting in the can. I mean, we we we've worked with one of our one of our longest standing customers, specifically developed their product to, to basically, you know ensure that it was good to drink from the can you know i i I wouldn't sort of like to comment on on what specifically that that means or how they've done that but I certainly know that's one of their aims and and, and a big part of the brief for that beer has been to to make sure it can be very well enjoyed out of the can uh, and not really not really lose too much you know
0: yep and I guess that brings in the other issue. We've seen a bit of a discussion recently around uh, you know canned on dates or you know, and best before dates. And uh, some brewers, I'm speaking to Ian Watson tomorrow, um, who you know they, they put a canned on date um, on their beer, um, so people know how fresh it is. is. Is that a conversation that you have with brewers um, about you know should they put uh, dates on, let people know, or you know should We'd be looking to shorter, uh, best before dates on cans.
1: Um, yeah, look, I mean, oh, I find the whole thing really interesting. I, I, I love, I love a canned on date or a packaged on date. You know, as a matter of personal preference, I, I go looking for it in trade. I mean, I, I go looking at you know for it in trade for some pretty weird reasons, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm often trying to buy the oldest beer I can find because I'm looking for old. <laughs> old kind of, uh, you know, samples of our product. But, you know, uh, it's, um, yeah, look, in terms of our customers, we are, I guess, certainly put in a position pretty regularly that, um, you know, we're kind of asked as to what we think. And, uh, you know, the the kind of standard advice that we give is, you know, we we, we think that the beer is going to probably hold up for three to six months. Um, and, and what people do beyond that certainly becomes their call. We, we are, you know, kind of merely a service provider um, when it comes to that. But it's certainly something we want to get more involved in and kind of get a bit more um, of a reliable kind of source of data. We're, we're looking quite closely at, at just sort of developing a pretty decent product library and, and kind of doing some tastings at regular intervals and, and that sort of thing. So we can kind of try and give our customers a bit more of an informed perspective on what we think is going to work for them. Um, with a pretty broad cross-section of beers that we're packaging, although each beast is pretty different, we'll still be able to, I believe, have a bit of an idea of of um, how an IPA goes and how a sour goes. I, I think we should be able to develop that and should be able to identify a bit with a bit more reliability what we think is a good idea. And as to shortening dates, man, uh, if we if we could make it such that every beer was drank within a couple of weeks of it coming out of the bright tank, then that'd be pretty cool. But I actually think that the, like Australia's unique geography sort of impacted us as a business um, relative to our kind of overseas counterparts, I think that there's a real issue there, um, you know, in, in terms of beer freshness for us as well as an industry. I think that there's plenty of demand for beer brewed in Melbourne to go to Sydney and Brisbane. And, you know, and, and that obviously swings in all different directions. And, and I think while that demand's there and, and while our breweries are basically needing to, to sell to all those, those regions and not just stick local, um, while that's occurring, I, I think there's always going to be the situation where we're kind of, we've we got some, some stock out there with a bit of age on it. And I think for that reason, we need to make sure that we're kind of developing really good beer and, and packaging it really well to kind of ensure that we can, can maintain that. I'm not sure if that's, a, if that's a controversial opinion at all, but I certainly think that we kind of, I guess, I guess what, I, what I really think is we sort of just need to live with it a bit. Um, the concept of having some slightly aged stock, I think it's sort of just a bit of a fact of life for us in Australia.
0: Oh, mate, this is the place for controversial opinions, so don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, and that's the big thing. Like there, there is that pragmatic um, realization that people are going to want beers. You know, there's been a flourishing grey market um, for beers, um, and people knowingly, uh, you know, buy beers that have been consigned to that market because they just want to taste them. But, you know, it's been one of the things I've grappled with over the last, uh, you know, six or 12 months. Uh, And I spoke with Greg Cook recently, who eight years ago was adamant that, you know, if you weren't drinking his beers fresh, you weren't drinking his beer. And it wasn't a positive experience. Um, And that was why he didn't want to send it. And there seems to be have been some pragmatism going there. And, you know, I I, I don't know. I I guess it's up to the individual beer drinker um, to decide whether or not they're going to drink a beer that's older or not but that's where for me having the canned on dates makes allows the drinker to to make that decision and starts that conversation
1: yeah well i mean i I guess that's the thing that it's sort of like a it's it's almost like an evolutionary thing you know i think i think you let i think you let the market decide um and 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 it'll sort of uh, the sales will tell the story you know with all that said i am beginning to um speak more and more with our customers about doing uh, more regular short runs um, as opposed to doing less regular large runs um, for this exact reason. You know, as long as we're trying to kind of make sure we're servicing them in a way that they're not running out of stock, um, we would really like to, to see us go back there more regularly for shorter runs um, to, to kind of help maintain all of this and help maintain freshness. So, yeah, look, I think there's 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 a whole bunch of ways that, you know, Things can get better, um, and, and, and I, I think I think I think you know ch- change the subject and raise a whole other kettle of you know kettle of fish and, and a whole other issue is is cold store and, and cold logistics and, and I think it's the people investing in that stuff that are the ones that are kind of going to be the ones that kind of uh, are in a situation like I said where the, the the beer drinkers that trade are you know kind of selecting those beers over top of other
0: ones. At the end of the day that's the thing that we've got a logistics um chain that's set up around very shelf stable pasteurized beer um that has been designed to last on a shelf and we've got a very volatile um craft beer that is going into that chain and isn't and uh we are seeing the 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 changes to accommodate that um which is a really uh you know really positive thing
1: yeah yeah absolutely i um I've got a, a slightly funny story. I, we uh, have quite a large yard uh, where our warehouse is on the south coast of New South Wales here and we um, we have a, a semi-trailer driver who fairly regularly parks his, uh, his, uh, his semi in our yard uh, when he's at home for a night or two. And uh, it was uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a, a bit of hot weather and uh, he jumped out of his truck as I was knocking off and he's, you know had a bit of a chat with me and um he was sort of saying to me that um he'd just done a pickup from one of the big brewers and he'd had uh he had 22 pallets on board double stacked ready to uh ready to to go and get fulfilled down the coast over the next couple of days and uh his truck was going to sit in the heat for a couple of days with with uh, essentially forty four pallets of pasteurised beer on board, and I was trying to explain to him uh, what that would do to craft beer, and he's, the, the look on this man's face was priceless. Um, he, he, uh, he he really kind of you know was grappling with the concept of, of of us trying to have to send a few pallets here and there in cold store. <laughs> um, and actually never get the product warm. <laughs> his, 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 his brain was, yeah, the, you see the cogs turning. It was
0: quite funny. I think a lot of people think that it was the bastard, bastardry of a couple of big brewers that saw the market evolve the way that it did. But there's a whole lot of pragmatic um, pressures. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of pressures on the industry um, around, you know, getting beer to market cheaply. And ultimately, craft beer is a highly inefficient industry that is going to... Always costs more, and people need to be convinced of the need to pay more for it to uh, so, to support that inefficiency. I, I guess is one of the uh, takeaways from that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And every day we see our customers just like busting their ass to do their absolute best, and and a lot of the time it's just the the the, the best that they can do is is what they need to do, um, and and you know that uh, is the is the reality, you know.
0: What got you in, into beer in the first place? What what I know that you got into canning because of the uh, opportunities that you you found or that you saw driving around uh, California. But what got did you did you have a passion for beer before you did that trip?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. i um, I started um, home brewing when I was at university. When I was, oh, it's possible that I might have been I don't know I might have been eighteen years old in one day. <laughs> um, it's probably all it's probably. So that's all okay. I'm sure there's a statute of
0: limitations on these uh, um, sorts of admissions.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I still, I still remember going to uh, the local Big W store with some friends to buy all of our home brew equipment. And we'd actually sort of went in as a bit of a syndicate with four people, and we basically acquired enough home brew equipment to. Make enough beer to get them to, to, to essentially throw an enormous party. Oh, I think we used to brew eighty liters of beer every fortnight, and we would do these massive bottling runs with a couple of bits of um, like reinforced concrete mesh set up on bricks, drying bottles, and like you know there was eight blokes kind of running around like idiots sort of filling and capping these pretty horrid home brews out of these, um, these containers underneath my parents' house. But um, uh, about about a third of us, about a third of us, kind of, you know, got got the bug and kind of saw it, saw it for kind of something, you know, further than um, basically making cheap beer as uni students, um, and and we kind of sort of got a bit more involved in the the romanticism of, of making your own beer, and not not that strangely, the the third of us that that kind of. that that did keep on, keep on brewing and actually kind of got really interested in, in home brewing and, and manufacturing beer in general are the ones that, you know, we were the ones that kind of didn't mind cooking either and kind of liked good food and, and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, we kind of kept on, kept on going and kept on chugging and, and sort of, you know, yeah, I guess spent, um, you know the better part of 15 years kind of brewing beer and kind of being interested in in every single you know beer that's been released from I guess sort of you know these knees and Matilda Bay sort of days right through till you know till now um so yeah I've kind of I've I've, I've had that that love the whole time and the, and the passion and the, the interest and knowledge I guess yeah I think I think it's just Strangely enough, um, that's that's all kind of put me in pretty good place for, for what we're doing as a business.
0: Do you have a? I, I guess doing what you do, you would uh, have a fridge full of beer.
1: Oh, honestly, Matt, my my operators often do, um, and they and they they occasionally send some to the poor old boss. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I do, and 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 the, the, again, like I sort of touched on earlier, the funny thing is is that I, I often sort of I like to, to get uh, into a, a bricks and mortar bottle bottle shop um, fairly often, and, and I, I actually kind of go through all of the stuff I know that we've packaged, and I actually go through looking for the oldest stuff. <laughs> I'm a bit of a bit of a, weird, bit of a bit of a weirdo, but um, but yeah, no, we've certainly we've certainly got our uh, got our fair share of beer hanging around here. It's good.
0: One question we ask uh, our guests uh, who have been through the rigors of of business it's uh, we call it the Pacey's Poser. If you if you could go back and change one thing since you started uh, East Coast Canning, uh, what would that be? Oh,
1: what a zinger! It's really tough. You know the the, the first the first thing that that jumped into my mind. Um, I'm basically going to give you an answer and then I'm going to retract it straight away. Uh, the first thing that jumped into my brain was I probably would have said that I probably would have slowed down our growth ever so slightly. But then the reality is that we we probably just needed to accept those tough times and those high stress times in order to get us to where we are. So I I really kind of, you know, I don't think I I really would change that with the, you know, the complete 2020 hindsight that I have. I think what I probably would have changed is, is, in an ideal world, kind of knowing what I know now, I would have basically just planned the whole thing better. I would have started from day one thinking that we were going to have some good expansion and and this was actually going to work in Australia, as opposed to thinking that, you know, we were going to kind of be in the situation that I described earlier on in the chat with, you know, kind of running out for a, a week of packaging and then coming back home to kind of look after the administration side of things and kind of get ready for the next week. Uh, I think, you know, in, in an ideal world, I, I would have planned ahead and, and known that that wasn't going to be the case. And, and...
0: <laughs> but then again, you, you hear of so many businesses that over, you know, anticipate how things it's going to be and overcapitalize and uh, then fall down because they, they can't service the, uh, the, the, the capital investment.
1: Oh, it's so true, mate. And the problems that we have in terms of, I mean, the, 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 really the problems we have are, you know, not enough time, um, too much on. You know, th- there's some pretty great problems to have and, and I'd hate to be, you know, in the opposite situation. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, look, you, you're absolutely bang on. But I think um, in an ideal world, though, you, you, you plan and, and you get it, you get it, you know, pretty close. Um and and that would certainly have been kind of if, if I could go back and do some dreaming, I think that's certainly what I what I would have liked. You know that that would have been pretty nice. You know since since we've started the business, I've I've had two me and my wife have had two kids, so we've got two kids under two, and we've got all this other stuff going on. So, you know it it, it would have been um, yeah it would have been nice to to have done some pre planning around all of this. I'll be honest, that's what we're embarking on basically right now and, and kind of making some pretty um, pretty large kind of planning decisions within the business and, and really kind of, um, I guess, tightening and tightening our operations up to a pretty extreme uh, level, I suppose.
0: Oh, well, Chris, uh, all the best with, with those plans and I hope it all uh, works out for you. It certainly uh, started well. And, uh, mate, thank you very much for joining us on Beer as a Conversation this morning and, uh, yeah, all, all the best with uh, East Coast Canning.
1: No worries, Matt. Thanks for the
0: chat. That was Chris Kelly. I hope you found the conversation as enjoyable and interesting as I did. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. That helps us with the show production and, as our long-time listeners will appreciate, our producer Joe has been an awesome investment. You can also review us on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the shows as well. You can also get in touch by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au and let us know what matters to you in the world of beer, if you have any questions you would like asked and who you would like to have on the show. Thanks for tuning in this week. Look out for the next episode of Radio Brews News where our editorial team and special guests discuss the week in beer news. It will hit your podcast app Sunday night in time for your Monday morning commute. And remember beer is a conversation.